The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome to pain.tv slash gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. I hope everyone is doing great today. It is Monday evening, Tuesday morning. Holidays are done. The family is out of here, folks. I saw my father this morning. He stopped by for a cup of coffee. Of course, I was still sleeping when he came by because last night William got up in the middle of night, as he always does in the middle of the night, folks. I can't even speak today. But no, he got up in the middle of the night. But this time, he wouldn't go back to bed for like two hours. So I ended up on William duty. And I was just really tired this morning, and I had to get up and do a bunch of things. My father came by. We had a cup of coffee, and then he was on his way. My mother and stepfather, they just went from the hotel right to the airport. So everyone's out of here. We're back to normal work. I'm going to wrap up this show today, and then I've got to do some business stuff related to this podcast, some big changes, big things coming, folks. It's going to be a wild ride moving toward Christmas and then into the new year. We have a lot of stuff planned. As you know, right now, we are in the middle of talking about CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, folks, and it's very important, very important because... I want you to understand this new monetary system that is coming. Again, there's a lot of podcasters and folks that talk about this. I'm approaching it from a bit of a different angle. I'm looking at it from the original papers coming out of Technocracy Incorporated back in 1919 through the 1930s, 1940s, and then tying it into what is going on today and i'm looking at the tech companies and the players behind the cbdc infrastructure and the architecture of the system we have a regular guest here wide awake jim who has been tracking this stuff from the climate hustle side from the united nations from the international monetary fund from the bank for international settlements and if you want to get caught up you can listen to episodes 80 and 88 i also discussed some of this with a good friend dan golvach and that folks i can't remember it might have been episode uh, 94 you probably want to check that out we talked about the ftx scandal which also leads to cbdc and why am i on this topic right now well we understand that technocracy is the system of social engineering but it is also the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services by the elite class and the elite class under the technocracy is a group of scientists engineers and technologists that was the original concepts coming out of the 1920s and 1930s but as i've 
we've said, and I think I've made the case, that technocracy is here. It is our culture. We're already inside of it. And so for them to be able to have full control over the means of distribution of goods and services, it's not just about harnessing the supply chains from the manufacturer to the retailer. And that retailer could be online or it could be brick and mortar. They can also control this through the monetary system. And if they limit how much money you are going to be allotted, whether that be in the form of fiat paper currency like we have today, or whether that be in the form of a universal basic income where everyone is locked to a certain amount of money they're getting, or whether that be through central bank digital currency or energy certificates, which was the technocracy plan back in the 1930s, or it could be carbon credits. And so what I think is coming is a carbon credit back central bank digital currency. And my opinion on this may change as we continue to do more research into this topic, but I want to really dissect and analyze, reverse engineer, and try to figure out exactly what is coming, because if they can control the monetary system, system completely now the federal reserve the central banks obviously control the monetary system today they can print as much paper money as they want they can issue as many loans as they want they can adjust the interest rates they can create inflation deflation they can do anything they want but they want to be able to control this system down to every last transaction And that's how they will control the means of distribution of goods and services. Because if they're able to limit what you could not only afford to buy, so say they allotted each one of us $2,000 in current day, $2,000 per month, then we could only buy so many goods and services. But they want to actually control it down to the very last transaction. So let's say I'm allotted $2,000 in present day money and i go and take two hundred dollars out of the bank or out of the atm machine and i have two hundred dollars in cash in my pocket i can then go down to farmer carol the organic farmer we buy a lot of our stuff from and i can give her ten dollars in cash to buy a box of tomatoes or i can give her five dollars to buy a blue hubbard squash or i can give her twenty dollars and get four or five cartons of organic eggs well these guys to control this system, to have control over the distribution of goods and services, they don't want that to be allowed. They want all transactions being run through this central bank digital currency system so that they could stop me or stop you from visiting Farmer Carol and from buying eggs from her or buying a Blue Hubbard squash. And on top of it, they want Farmer Carol to be limited in what she can actually grow and how do they do this well if she's operating on cbdc she doesn't have the ability to buy soil this year or she doesn't have the ability to buy fertilizer or she doesn't have the ability to buy pumpkins that she may get from another organic farmer right and the only way now carol can transact with that other farmer is through barter so maybe carol brings tomatoes and the farmer gives her pumpkins but 
if she doesn't have the soil, doesn't have the seeds or whatever, she can't grow those tomatoes. Yes, she can create her own seeds off of last year's batch, but I'm just talking about in uh, terms of everyday people, how they want to be able to limit us. And so they can control the entire supply chain from the manufacturer all the way to the retailer or to the consumer by controlling this monetary system. As we know, and I have up on the screen, we reviewed this, I don't know, maybe 10 episodes ago. This is the energy certificate document from Technocracy Incorporated, founded by Howard Scott, really brain-trusted in Columbia University at the same time that FDR's New Deal was being brain-trusted there at Columbia University. And as I've said, the New Deal brought many elements of modern technocracy into play, especially the social security number. But this energy certificate document was published in July of 1937. Of course, we showed you that most of the stuff inside this document was actually being written about going back to 1919. This was just basically when they published this entire document. And so I just want to pull something back up here and show you. We're going to look here um, under searching for Dewey Decimal System uh, because I want to show you today how this in fact relates to uh, the idea of being able to tag everything within the supply chain and being able to program this new monetary system, this central bank digital currency to prevent you from buying certain things or allowing you to only buy certain things that the system deems to be fit, the state deems to be fit, the technate deems to be fit. So let's just uh, clarify this again quickly for those of you that missed it. Back in the 1920s and 30s, as technocracy was forming, in 1933, Howard Scott formed Technocracy Incorporated, which was really the first big organized movement, big political movement behind technocracy. What these guys wanted was a political system based on energy consumption. And so they did an entire survey of the entire North America, and they figured out how much energy was being used, was being consumed to develop, uh, to produce all of these goods and services. And so what they were going to do was they wanted to take all the energy consumption and then break it up evenly amongst all the citizens that live within the Techni. And this was basically a continent from the Panama Canal up to the North Pole. There's different variations of it, but just let's use that one for instance. So everyone that lived within that system would be given an equal allotment of what's called energy certificates. And the energy certificates come from the total amount of energy consumed to produce all the goods and services that would then be utilized and then divide that up equally. No one inside this system would be better than anyone else. Of course, the elite, the scientists, the engineers, and the technologists that sit at the top of the system, as we see today with bureaucrats and heads of 
of these international NGOs and think tanks like the World Economic Forum, the CEOs, the elected officials that are really just the puppets for the system, they are above us. They are an elite class. They are in the top 1%. The rest of us are down in the 99%. And that includes your neighbor who may be worth 10 or $15 million because he built a little self-made company, right? He's the same as you if you're a janitor at the local high school. So in the original energy certificate system, they had the citizens of the technate broken into three classes. And this would be 25 years old and younger, 25 years old to 45 years old, which was the prime worker, and then 45 years old and above. So each of those three classes would be allotted a certain amount of energy certificates. Now, the average was about 20,000 energy certificates. So let's just take that for instance. So you would be allotted 20,000 units of this energy based on the population at the time and how much energy was being consumed. And then everything that you purchase would be purchased basically through the state uh, if you were allowed to purchase it. In many cases, you were only allowed to rent or borrow. So you would not be allowed to own a car. A car you would pick up from a government budget office, a government enterprise, for instance, and then you would use it and you would come back and you would basically pay based on the amount of energy that you consumed when you were driving around in that car. And if you did not use that car to its fullest efficiency, you would be penalized. So they knew what the average was at any given time that that car should be driven, how many miles should be driven in the time that you rented it. And if you did not use it for that amount, you would be penalized and pay the full amount based on the average energy consumption of that vehicle because they wanted maximum efficiency out of every tool, every machine that was owned by the state, by the technate. All right. So that's how it works. Now, if you take the modern version of this, which would be carbon credits, energy certificates are basically carbon credits. It's just rebranded. And so if the CBDC ends up being backed by a carbon credit system, effectively, they end up having this energy certificate system of 1933. So what we are doing now is we are breaking down the technologists and the investors behind this CBDC model. And I'm going to start to show you how far ahead they actually are further ahead than i think any other podcaster admits to maybe they just don't understand it well i'm going through it piece by piece and i'm finding the technologists behind this and the big corporations the so-called private sector companies that are just extensions of the state i'm going to show you where they're launching this stuff what they're doing around the world and we have our eye right now on a guy named joseph lubin and as I've said over the last two episodes, Joseph Lubin is the founder and the head of a company called Consensus. We're going to go into that today, folks. And Consensus was formed in 2015 when Joseph Lubin split off of Vitalik Buterin, who was the founder of Ethereum. And I went over Ethereum a bit yesterday. It's very important because a lot of this CBDC is being built on the Ethereum network. Okay, Ethereum is basically the backbone that drives the new central bank 
digital currency from everything I've found so far. And again, there's different players in this, but it's important because Buterin started supposedly, I don't believe the story, but supposedly working on Ethereum in 2013. Peter Thiel, major technocratic transhumanist, he comes in and backs Buterin in 2014 with a Thiel Fellowship grant. Buterin continues to work on Ethereum. One year later in 2015, he launches Ethereum. Uh, When you look at this, I just don't believe Buterin and three or four nerd partners could build a system like this. I think this probably came out of the government, if I had to guess, or a government private sector company. They take a Buterin, they put him in charge of it, similar to a Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk type, and then he sits there as the head of this. Meanwhile, his partner, Joseph Lubin, spins off with Consensus, and now you'll see that Consensus is working with Visa, as we covered yesterday. They're working with a software they got off of JP Morgan Chase, and they're working with central banks. And what they're trying to do is build a skin over the current infrastructure that's already wired, the current banking infrastructure, credit card infrastructure, to tie in the central bank digital currency into the current infrastructure so they don't have to start from ground zero. They can actually merge this whole system together. So when we get back, I'm going to show you just a little bit inside the energy certificate document that we've already covered because I just want to make sure we're tying this back into history and then we could further explain in the present day how it all connects and eventually we'll be able to predict where they're going with this in the future. I mean, I think we know where they're going. We want to understand how quickly the rollout is coming. I mean, the rollout has already begun and I will show you that today, ladies and gentlemen. Let's take a quick break, absorb that. I wanted to put that all into context. That's 10, 12 shows now coming together so that I can show you exactly how this CBDC system is being rolled out and where it's going. We're going to spend about a week on this, ladies and gentlemen, because this is very important. This is the total control system. This is how the Technate will operate. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. That's right, folks, dissecting the evil plans. That's what we do here, ladies and gentlemen. Piece by piece, we have to reverse engineer this whole system. It's like figuring out what the puzzle looks like today and then taking apart each piece of the puzzle and flipping over each piece and seeing who is assigned to each piece of the puzzle. And then you could start to figure out you know, what this uh, puzzle looks like when it's complete, ladies and gentlemen. And so I think we have a good idea of where it's going. We just want to understand how long it's going to take for the full puzzle to be complete. 
All right, up on the screen, I have this article that we reviewed yesterday. If you didn't listen to this, please do. It's episode 97, very important. And this was an interview posted on Visa's website, and it was an interview conducted between Catherine Gu and Shaley Adenolfi. Shaley Adenolfi being a representative from Consensus, and Catherine Gu being a representative from Visa. And this is about the partnership that they formed. The idea behind this partnership is that visa wants a seat at the table with this whole cbdc international system and what they're offering is the ability for them to take the 80 million merchants they already have in the visa system and allow them to be able to accept cbdc central bank digital currency so all of the merchants out there from big guys to mom and pops want money right so whatever the form of money is that they could spend whether that is someone using a credit card that then gets converted to cash for them or whether that's someone using a debit card that gets converted to cash or whether someone's coming in with paper money and coins or whether it's going to be cbdc that the shop owner can then spend to buy things for themselves or they can convert that into fiat currency whatever it may be so if let's say 50 percent of people today were spending bitcoin via an app on their phone and i could walk into i don't know bob's uh, pet shop and i want to buy uh i don't know a bone for my sister's dog well if i could walk up with my smartphone similar to apple pay tap it on the uh, register or on their little tablet run by a company like square and it deducts money out of my coinbase wallet that stores my bitcoin so think of that like your chase bank account storing your fiat currency if i could do that and the shop owner gets the bitcoin right right from me and they can either use the bitcoin later to shop somewhere else or they can convert the bitcoin as you can do today into your us dollars that then they could spend or save or whatever they're going to do with it then that shop owner is going to take bitcoin especially if it's easy so if their point of sale system that runs their cash register is uh, controlled by a company like square and we'll get into this one day so all these little coffee shops and stuff have been using square for a while if square this morning says now customers can use bitcoin at your store just allow them to tap their phone and then you can convert that into cash or you can store your bitcoin the shop owner is going to do it because the shop owner isn't going to turn away cash so all of a sudden now you will have 80 million merchants able to accept cbdc without having to lift a finger or go learn a new technology so boom there's the buy-in from the merchants now as far as the customers go everyone carrying around some sort of a visa card in their pocket let's say now you go into bob's pet shop and you stick or you tap your card or you swipe your card the same way you would normally do at the store and now instead of saying do you want to use credit do you want to use debit it now has a third option do you want to use cbdc right so now it's easy for you because you don't have to learn a new technology it's just giving you a third option so you can click cbdc now if you're being issued central bank digital currency during the first iteration of the adoption campaign that'll be coming so let's say the government decides they're going to pay you your social security money 
everybody or your welfare or your food stamps or your disability whatever it may be those are all big targets the government can go after first and you walk into the store and you just push your visa card in or you tap your visa card or you tap your apple pay connected to your visa card and the screen comes up and it says debit credit or cbdc and you just click cbdc you're more going to be more inclined to use it the adoption is very easy it just adds another option it doesn't involve another layer of technology or having to download a new app so that's what visa is offering here in partnership with consensus so consensus is coming in as the development company the tech company helping visa take their current systems and make it comply to the cbdc blockchain the framework the system the platform all right that's how this is going to work now on the screen i just want to remind you uh catherine goo here in the question the majority of central banks are reportedly exploring cbdc what makes this technology so intriguing catherine said in here in part with cbdc a central authority could send fast payments to a targeted set of users and program specific spending patterns now you will see that as a constant theme when we start to review these panel discussions from the international monetary fund bank for international settlements world economic forum united nations the cbdc money is programmable all right it's programmable just in the most simple form think of this the government so a central authority so let's say that's the state or that's the central bank or it's the government whatever it is the government is just an illusion the central bank would be in charge so let's say they send out social security payments to i don't know 50 million americans and let's say just use a blanket scenario the social security is now deemed to only be spendable on food on clothing and on i don't know gasoline let's say that's it so now what happens is when they send the cbdc to your wallet you can only spend that on food clothing or gasoline you can't go spend that on concert tickets all right that's what it means to be programmable now because they have artificial intelligence and they have algorithms they can write these things can be done right the spending parameters that Catherine goo mentions here can be done in real time based on a personalized individual level so let's say your social security comes but the system knows that you're a diabetic well there could be an algorithm written for that that knows because all the databases once this whole system is done will all be connected so they'll have your medical records as well they will also know your food habits uh, all this stuff that when you go to the grocery store to purchase food you may be rejected in being able to buy sugar or a candy bar or a sugary drink whatever it may be so it's programmable in real time based on artificial intelligence and algorithms all right i hope you understand how this works as dan Golvach mentioned in episode 94 let's say you walk into the gun shop you might not be able to buy 
ammunition. You might not be able to buy a bulletproof vest. You might not be able to buy a gun. Not only that, that shop owner, let's say Dave's gun shop, he might not be able to buy ammunition. He might not even be able to stock the ammunition because his CBDC is already programmed for him not to be able to buy that from a wholesaler. And let's say the wholesaler can't get the ammunition because their CBDC isn't letting them buy it from the manufacturer. And let's say they want to put the manufacturer out of business. The manufacturer can't even get the metals or the gunpowder to be able to produce the bullet. You see how this system then allows these guys to control the means of production and distribution. One of the tenets of technocracy was to disallow anyone not deemed to be in this elite class, the ruling class, the scientists, engineers, and technologists, to even have access to the raw materials to be able to produce. So you or I would not have access to the means of production. All right. And that is the whole point of this. You can control it through this monetary system. If we get to the point where there's no cash, there's no coins, there's no credit cards, there's no debit, and everything is run through this central bank digital currency, even if you or I wanted to make bullets on the black market, we couldn't even do that because we would not be able to purchase the raw materials needed to make the bullets. And if they deem someone who gets raw materials to be cheating and trying to sell things on the black market or barter, they could stop them from being able to get the raw materials. That's what this means, the fact that it's programmable. Now, I've got back up on the screen the energy certificate, and I just want to show you something. Uh, we went through this in the past, but this this is talking about all the different coding that goes on inside of the old school energy certificate. This is something they were writing by hand. But look at how advanced they were in their thinking. Obviously, they did not have the technology they have today. But think about this. How are they going to be able to prevent the sale of, let's say, copper or gunpowder. Well, everything is tagged with a code. I mean, we have that in stores now, UPC codes. We know now that they're also putting RFID chips into certain products so they can track it throughout the supply chain. We also know that they're starting to tag things with these QR codes. So everything becomes tagged in this system. This is going back to 1938, or sorry, 1937, but this was really written about 10 years earlier. Let's just read this. It's talking about the old school energy certificate, this piece of paper, like a check. It says the fourth box, as mentioned above, will contain the serial number of the certificate. In the lowest of the three lines will be boxes providing for four purchases. If they consist of the same merchandise, say shoes or shirts only, the first box of a used certificate will contain a series of digits and letters, again coded according to a modified Dewey Decimal System, which will specify exactly what what the purchase was. In the figure, the uh, 34461111E728 would indicate that the article was made by the leather sequence, leather after it has left the animal. The 34, that the article was a pair of low shoes, the four, that they were men's shoes, the six, size 11, the 11, with E, the E, of last number seven, the seven, and of the style number eight. At the same time, the holder surrenders the certificate 
ownership for some service or goods, he will place his signature in the space provided. So as you can see, going back to the 1930s, the technocrats had already come up with this system to tag all of these types of goods. Now, when you put it into a technological system, when you have it run by artificial intelligence and algorithms, you now have the ability to block someone from buying a pair of these leather shoes, not just because they don't have $50 or they don't have 50 energy uh, certificates or they don't have 50 CBDC tokens because the token is programmed to disallow you to buy this particular pair of leather shoes. It may say you're not allowed to because you don't work in the service industry. Only service folks can buy leather shoes. You see how this works? You see how the system they're building today actually brings to fruition the system that was designed by the technocrats back in the 1920s and 1930s? It's here now. Now you have Visa, you have the heads of international banks, the central bankers, all openly talking about the ability to program the money in order to, oh, how did she put it, folks? She said, with CBDC, a central authority could send fast payments to a targeted set of users and program specific spending parameters program specific spending parameters meaning you will be limited in purchasing what the state deems you are allowed to purchase let that sink in ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dust and gold with the dust and gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, come and join us over here. Get access to this like-minded group of individuals. You can download the Facebook-like mobile application or hop on the website and communicate with people. It operates just like Facebook, folks. There's groups in there. You can share information, talk to people. It's a great place to hang out when you are bored. You can watch the ad-free video version of the Dustin Gold Standard and the Thomas Paine podcast in there. Check out the Hot Wire. That's the highest level tier. You can join that, get access to Mike's uh, highest level of intelligence. I think he's got one coming out. Uh, in the next day or two, all about the supply chain shortages coming, uh, how they kicked that into gear back in 2018. It's going to be quite interesting. Uh, Wide Awake Jim has been on the hot wire several times. It's just a great place to pick up intelligence that you can use in your personal life. And that's what we're doing over here, too. All this stuff that I am giving you is going to help you figure out what is coming in the future so you could better plan for it, folks. And we've got a series of solution shows we're putting together. Uh, we're going to wait until Wide Awake Jim finishes up 
his series and I finish up on CBDC before we do that because we want to be able to build the solutions uh, around how we're going to deal with this new total control system that's coming, how we can work around that. All right, what I want to do now, because you should have an understanding of how the original technocracy plans, the energy certificate, plays into the CBD system they're building. So I'm going to jump back to the article that we ended on yesterday at forecast.news. That's F-O-R-K-A-S-T dot news. I want to finish this up. And then I'm going to move forward. I haven't decided yet which direction I'm going to go in. I have a bunch of stuff we need to review on the Consensus website. That's the company owned by Joe Lubin, co-founder of Ethereum. Uh, We have some white papers we have to look at. But there was also an announcement a couple of weeks ago on a number of companies launching the CBDC test system here in the United States. So I do want to cover that because it is a pressing matter. So what I might do is get into that first in the next segment, and then we'll go into consensus. But I want to finish this up because we're just learning about all the different pieces that make up this control system, all the different methodologies, the technologies, the players that go behind it. I am going to teach you a little bit about stablecoin, which comes up in conversation. I might do that tomorrow in episode 99. So let's take a look at this. Uh, Just as a refresher, The article was called, What's in DeFi's Future and What Does It Mean for Traditional Banks? DeFi, D-E-F-I, is Decentralized Finance. And the uh, subtitle was, Will DeFi Replace Centralized Finance? So DeFi, um, Decentralized Finance, is always shortened to capital D, lowercase e, uppercase F, lowercase I, like Wi-Fi, but it's DeFi. And then centralized finance is always CFI, so C-E-F-I. So will DeFi replace CFI, and how might regulators respond? An all-star panel with leaders from SEC, that's Security and Exchange Commission, World Economic Forum, Consensus, and USDC. That's a U.S.-based stablecoin, okay? And again, we'll, we'll get into it. Maybe I'll show you what stablecoins are next just so you have an understanding but this is a good article again if you want to listen to the first half of this go to episode 97 and have a listen because this kind of lays a foundation for what we're about to talk about again i'm trying to walk you through this in layman's terms so you have a wide understanding of central bank digital currency and as we get into the nitty-gritty and i show you some of the technology and the technology companies behind this, we won't have to stop every two seconds and explain every term. All right, so there is a method to my madness, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so here we're talking about this gentleman named Hester Pierce. He's a panelist on this uh, commission here. And it says he's a commissioner on the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission, SEC. And he's talking about how if the central banks and the technologists get into an area where it looks like there's going to be sort of securities created, then the SEC is going to have to step in. And as I explained yesterday, what's happening is you have all of these various folks who operate in the current system, the current financial system, from the government bureaucrats, the regulators 
leaders, people like this guy, Hester Pierce. And then you have technologists uh, coming out of companies like Visa, as we reviewed yesterday. And so they're all vying for power in this new system. So in an ideal system, the uh, end user, you and I, the consumer, would have, let's say, an app or a grain of sand embedded, uh, sorry, a grain of rice embedded in our hand. And every time we're exchanging money back and forth, it's going through the clearinghouse of the central bank. And so there would be no middlemen in between. But what it looks like to me, based on my research, that system itself is going to be quite complicated. As Wide Awake Jim would say, there's over 100 countries they need to wire into this. Each country has its own government, its own laws, its own regulations, its own culture. And so the adoption is going to take quite a long time. But what I'm finding in the research that I'm doing is companies like Consensus want to become the connective tissue between the central bank and the consumer and find a seat at the table for all the current companies like Visa and these guys that are involved with this financial infrastructure and figure out how to fuse that whole system together. And this way, all the current people that are making money off the current financial grift will be allowed to continue to make money. And to me, if I was orchestrating this entire system, I would probably do that. Now, it's not like the CEO of Visa and these other companies, Citibank and such, they're already on the take. They're controlled by people like Larry Fink through BlackRock. So you have Bank for International Settlements, set the rules. They push it down to BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street. They invest inside these major institutions and then they have a seat at the table as far as the board of directors go and they could shape policy. It's the millions upon millions of people that are the worker bees that work inside of these companies that they need on board to help implement these systems. So if those people realize that they're going to be pushed out the door because CBDC is just going to interact between the two consumer, let's say the consumer and the merchant, and the central banks in the middle and everyone else is cut out, there might be resistance in moving this plan forward. So instead, you figure out a way to allow the grift to continue or the commissions and the royalties to be paid out to the middlemen. So you give them a seat at the table. And to me, uh, to be able to keep the current infrastructure, I think it allows for faster adoption of CBDC by the consumer and by the merchants, the two people that you need involved in this transaction. And if that's the case, then eventually, once that system is in place, they can then cut out all of the middlemen. Of course, you do realize that every programmer, software engineer in the middle, the worker bees, are all going to be put into this system. Those people will not be treated like an elite class. They're not going to be able to get out of this. So this guy, Hester Pierce, has proposed a three-year, quote, safe harbor, end quote, period for token sales to allow crypto entrepreneurs to build their networks without fear of running afoul of securities laws. Pierce said that she's hoping to present, oh, Hester Pierce, sorry, I was saying it was a man, it's a woman, but we're in 2022, folks. You can be a man, you could be a woman. It's uh, fluid. It's fluid. Pierce said that she's hoping to present her proposal to the new SEC chair. You know, 
uh, let me just ask you a question here. I, I might as well interject uh, since I stuck that in there. If uh, someone identifies, if they're born as a biological female but identifies as a male and then wants you to use male pronouns to identify them, can I, even though that person wants to be identified as a male or was born as a biological female, what if my interpretation is fluid? So I could call anyone a man or a woman anytime I want because I interpret them as anything I want because my thinking is gender fluid see this is where stuff gets quite confusing (laughs) i'm just throwing that in there folks all right here we go so hester pierce said that she's hoping to present her proposal to the new sec chair and suggest that he pursues something like that quote if not i'm not wedded to that but i think we need to provide some clarity for people trying to develop these networks end quote she said so what they're saying there is that they would give this three-year safe harbor period where all the technologists all the crypto entrepreneurs working to help build this cbd system would not have to worry about being attacked by the Securities and Exchange Commission while they're building the system. And by that time, then they will have all the new regulations in place. It goes on to say, Pierce does not think that there will be uniformity in international regulations given that different countries have different philosophies towards regulation. Quote, in general, where most of the international benefit is, is learning from one another, sharing ideas about how to approach some of these new regulatory challenges, end quote, she said. Remember, speaking from the standpoint of a regulator of a bureaucrat quote we can be conscious of the limitations of our jurisdiction something that frankly the sec hasn't always done that well end quote pierce said quote we can also do something with the sec has done in other areas which is allow for substituted compliance so that if actors are compliant with their home country's rules and those rules have sort of the same end objective as ours we can give deference to those rules end quote Panelists also say that governments must be careful not to stifle innovation and point out the need for regulatory coordination. So they're telling the governments not to slow this process down. Quote, international coordination and multi-stakeholder cooperation are critically important, end quote, said Sheila Warren, head of the blockchain and data policy and member of the executive committee at the World Economic Forum. Quote, there is a danger of regulatory fragmentation, and we've already seen some of this in the more, more, more pure cryptocurrency space, end quote. Lubin added, okay, so this is Joseph Lubin, the head of Consensus that's already working with uh, so-called private sector partners and governments. He was the co-founder of Ethereum. Ethereum, again, being sort of founded by Peter Thiel as he funded the incubator stage of Vitalik Buterin's uh, founding of Ethereum. So it's, it's all connects, folks. It's all very... Um, it's, it's just all connected. It's a huge web, but it's all the same players behind all of this stuff. It goes on to say, uh, so this is Lubin. Regulators should look to regulate uses of the technologies, but not the technology of itself. It is important to note that this disruptive technology is uh, premised on designing I'm sorry, is premised on designing protocols that are essentially self-policing or have protocols police other protocols, end quote. Uh, Centers Puth commanded, uh, commended 
the United States Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, OCC, for giving greater permission to financial institutions to work with cryptocurrencies. In January, the OCC issued guidance allowing federally chartered banks to participate in blockchains and use stablecoins for payment activities. Quote, opening up on a public blockchains and using stable coins is a great way to facilitate what I think will be an erroneous opportunity for the traditional banking business to engage in the intersection of centralized finance and decentralized finance, end quote, Puth said. Now, remember, as I explained yesterday, there's no such thing as decentralized finance. This is not decentralized. CBDC will be controlled by the central bank. It's not decentralized. That is a flim-flam operation. That is the scam. That is the scheme to claim that this is decentralized. It's anything but. When they have the ability, the authorities issuing the currency, to program the currency to prevent you from buying certain things and only allowing you to buy from certain merchants, that is anything but decentralized. And so they want it to appear that me buying something from you out there, Mike in the audience, Dustin buys something from Mike that's a one-to-one transaction without having to go through Chase Bank or Citibank or go through Visa. It's just me and you with the central bank sitting in the middle. That's not. That is actually more centralized, not decentralized. Quote, what is happening in blockchain and decentralized finance? This is a global phenomenon, end quote, Puth said. Quote, it's not going to slow, and we need the regulatory community to be working together to help enable safe applications of the practices that we're all involved with today, end quote. So, as you can see here, folks, as you can see, this stuff is being discussed. The leaders in the industry are coming to the table. We're going to look at more of this over the next coming episodes. We're going to review panel discussions, as I mentioned, for the World Economic Forum, International Monetary Fund, Bank for International Settlements, UN Sustainability. We're going to look at all this and start to analyze the discussions that are going on so we can put the pieces together and figure out where they are at with this. When we get back from the break, I just decided... I. I am going to explain stable coins to you because that is going to come up in the rollout of the CBDC program that a number of these big banks just started, and it's going to come up in the discussions on consensus that I have to get to. So I might as well explain it now to you so you have a solid understanding. So you should understand Ethereum. You should understand the tokens behind Ethereum. You should have a basic understanding of smart contracts and blockchain, and now we'll get into stable coins. And then I'm going to show you what was just rolled out here in the United States, and then we'll move into consensus and start to look at the white papers coming out. Also, yesterday, Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, sent me a Bank for International Settlements document from 2018 that shows that they are, in fact, talking about Ethereum. Uh, Wide Awake Jim did not find this yet. Maria found it. So I'm going to send that over to Wide Awake Jim and then let him continue to look into that information and see what else Bank for International Settlements is doing because I know they are also working along with Joseph Lubin, head of Consensus, which is building the blockchain technology on top of the Ethereum platform for the purpose of bringing together all of the current financial sectors sitting on top of this old infrastructure and building it into the new 
CBDC infrastructure. It's complicated, but it's not really that complicated, folks. We'll break it down for you when we get back. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, so folks, you understand now also centralized finance, decentralized finance. I'll go in and explain that a little more in detail as well as we move forward. But there is nothing decentralized about this system whatsoever folks this is just more control they're taking a system they have control over and they are building a technology to have more control more control more centralization all right so up on the screen now for the video audience over at pain.tv slash gold i have a website it's uh, decrypt.co so that's d-e-c-r-y-p-t dot c-o and the last several episodes i've been making a habit also of having the url up on the screen so for those of you who want to go look this stuff up yourself you can find it um coming in the future we will be adding show notes to episodes, so all the articles I use will be included in show notes over at pain.tv slash gold. It's something we're working on. We're starting to build out a schedule for next year of how I'm going to use my day more efficiently, folks. If I want to fit into the technocracy, I have to be more efficient. Otherwise, I'm going to have to get the brain chip. Uh, no, that won't be happening over here, ladies and gentlemen, not at the gold household. But uh, so I'm at D grip.co and this is an article here from july 2021 uh pretty good it explains this i'm going to try to break it down in layman's terms for you so you'll understand this just add it to your library of terms you know your index as we move forward further into the technocracy and you're trying to understand how all of this works this is what are stable coins and how do you use them Stable coins are cryptocurrencies that claim to be backed by fiat currencies. Unlike cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, their prices remain steady. Again, this is from July 2021, written by Matt Husey and Scott Cipollina. All right, and then it says here, in brief, stable coins are cryptocurrencies, quote, pegged, unquote, to a fiat currency. They can be used as stores of value or units of account as well as in other use cases where volatile cryptocurrencies may be less desirable. Since their inception, cryptocurrencies have been considered particularly volatile investment instruments when it comes to their price. That's led to price jumps and crashes, preventing cryptocurrencies from being used for everyday goods and services in some cases due to the risk for vendors and merchants now let me just give you a prime example of that so you understand it in real terms all right if i go to work today and let's say i am doing some consulting i'm doing some website consulting work 
and I say to a client, let's say they're not putting me on contract. So instead of me quoting them and saying, okay, it's going to be $10,000 for your website to get you from point A to point Z, that's going to take me two months to complete. They want to put me on a consulting basis. So let's say uh, they're guaranteeing me, I don't know, three months of consulting with a certain minimum per month. And so I say, okay, I'll do that for whatever, $75 an hour. So let's say today I'm going to do four hours of work for them and I'm going to get $300. Well, with inflation and with deflation and et cetera, it doesn't bounce that big each day. So if I take $300 today and I know that can buy me, I don't know, a basket of groceries, I know when I get paid at the end of the day tomorrow, I'm generally going to be able to buy a basket of groceries, pretty close to a basket of groceries. Now, in the world we're in today, maybe next week, I only get 90% of that basket of groceries, but it's close, right? Well, what happens with cryptocurrency, let's say, for instance, and I'm going to be upfront with this. I was doing some consulting work on a project a few months ago, right at the beginning of when I launched this show, and I was doing some graphic design work for someone who was launching um, kind of like a, a fantasy, an online fantasy story game, and so they needed some artwork done, and they had owed me, I don't know what it was, like $2,000. And so they said to me, oh, um, I don't, they, were, they had an issue transferring some money to a PayPal account. So they said, can I pay you, believe it or not, in Ethereum? And I said, well, I do have a Coinbase wallet that I set up a few years ago. I was playing around with, you know, like $500 in cryptocurrencies, just messing around with it, trying to understand the system. Just uh, total curiosity. And so I said, okay, now here's the problem. So they transfer me right now $2,000 in Ethereum. So 2,000 US dollars worth of Ethereum. At the time, Ethereum was trading around $2,000. So think of, just think of it in simple terms if you don't understand this. Think of Ethereum like Apple stock. So let's say they were transferring me one share of Apple stock uh, that was worth 2000 today. Well, all of a sudden, Apple stock tomorrow could be worth 2200 That would mean I made out, or it could be worth 1500 meaning I was in trouble. So they transferred $2,000 of Ethereum to me. And then what I did was I cashed it out immediately. I didn't want it sitting in a crypto wallet. I just turned it into US dollars and transferred it to my bank account. Because for me, the $2,000 was going to buy groceries and pay bills here at my house. I wasn't keeping it as an investment. Well, in a matter of minutes, that 2000 could become 1800 could become 1700 That's how volatile it is. So that way you have an understanding here of what they're talking about. You go and you get paid in uh, Ethereum, $2,000, and you wait 20 minutes to go cash it out and turn it into U.S. dollars if you need to pay you know, your rent or your mortgage in uh, next week. You need the cash. All of a sudden, you look in there and you go, oh, my God, the $2,000 worth of Ethereum I got is worth $1,500. Now what? All right, so that's what they're talking about. So they're saying here, 
that stable coins are tied to fiat currency so they remain uh, less volatile so it says here that's where stable coins come in the theory goes if you create a currency that is pegged or attached to a regular fiat currency like the u.s dollar or something else with a relatively stable price it will prevent price swings we explore these more below so it says, what is a stablecoin? Stablecoins are cryptocurrencies that claim to be backed by fiat currencies, dollars, pounds, shekels, rubles, etc. The idea is that unlike cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, stablecoins, prices remain steady in accordance with whichever fiat currency backs them. Stablecoins are used as stores of value or units of account, as well as in other use cases where volatile cryptocurrencies may be less desirable. Different stablecoins use different strategies to achieve price stability. Some are centralized, others are decentralized. What are some examples of stablecoins? So this is about centralized stablecoins. So it says Tether, USDT. Tether is one of the first stablecoins and the most famous. It claims it is backed by a reserve of real dollars. That would be collateral. That is, quote, off-chain, end quote. For example, in a real-world location that is controlled by a centralized third party. So that would be like, I don't know, you launch Tether, uh, and in your backyard you have a warehouse that is a giant safe, and you have $20 million of U.S. cash sitting in there. And that's supposedly what's backing the dollar. Similar, or backing the stablecoin. Similar to how the U.S. dollar used to be supposedly backed by gold, that it was tied directly to gold, and there was all this gold in Fort Knox, and every time they printed these U.S. dollars, they were tied to how much gold was sitting there in Fort Knox. Same principle. It says, what... um. With this stash safely in the vault of a bank, investors can be confident that their tethers really are worth $1 each, keeping the price steady. The stablecoin accounts for a whopping 48% of all cryptocurrency trading volume. There's only one problem. Tether LTD, which mints Tether tokens, has never conclusively proven that the currency really is fully backed, fueling doubts among investors. And it's going to get into more on this below. So that's very similar to when uh, Congressman Ron Paul is asked to audit the Fed. Congressmen have tried to go into Fort Knox and look at the gold, but no one's actually seen the gold. So is the U.S. dollar actually tied to this reserve of gold? Well, no, because no one's ever seen the gold. So it's all imaginary. It's all imaginary. And so that's the issue right here. Where is this stash of cash that this company Tether LTD supposedly has that is actually sitting there in a vault in a safe somewhere backing their tether so let's say for instance they mint and think of minting very similar to printing dollars so let's say you turned on a printing press and you printed one million one dollar bills and sitting in a safe was one million dollars worth of gold 
And then you distribute these $1 bills and it's backed by the gold. So in Tether's case, what they're saying is, let's say they mint 1 million tokens. These are digital tokens, not coins that you carry in your pocket. So think of them like paper money or like a, a, a coin, but it's digital. They print 1 million tokens. They're supposed to have $1 million. Is each token is worth the equivalent of about 1 million, or sorry, 1 single US dollar. They're supposed to have $1 million sitting in a in a safe somewhere. All right, you understand that? I hope you do, folks. Let that just sink in for a minute. We're understanding stable coins here because this is all going to come into play with how CBDC supposedly works. It's a giant, huge system. No one's going to ever understand it all. That's the purpose. People like me will not understand it all. You will never understand it all, but we can have a basic understanding of how this system works and within it, all the grifts and the scams and the schemes to bring forward this total system of control. That is what is going to happen. That is the purpose, a system of control to control the means of production and the distribution of the goods and the services. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back with the goods and services right here on the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to Dustin Gold, and this is pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, so you understand Tether. You understand how this stablecoin system is supposed to work, this centralized system, right, that's backed by actual, let's say, in this case, U.S. dollars. So now you have another one called Gemini dollar. That's G-U-S-D or the Paxos dollar, P-A-X, or USDC. And this is developed by venture capitalist, the Winklevoss twins. You know who they are, ladies and gentlemen. Winklevoss twins were the guys who sued Mark Zuckerberg, saying that he stole uh, Connect IU from them to form Facebook. Uh, these guys are shady as hell. So you have the Winklevoss twins, blockchain startup Paxos, and crypto exchange Coinbase. And we know who Coinbase is. Uh, in concert with payment platform Circle, respectively. These stable coins are currying favor with the institutional investors. All have been closely audited by Wall Street firms and are compliant with local regulatory regimes. As Tether becomes less trusted, these tokens only become more popular. Okay, so you've got these... Um, uh, a couple different ones. You've got these big backers, and then you have the institutional investors and Wall Street getting behind these stable coins. All right, then you have Emoji Filecoin, which is one F I L O N E F I L, developed by I C H I, a protocol for creating quote decentralized money authorities. End quote. One Phil is the stablecoin for the Filecoin network. It is backed by USDC and Filecoin's native coin, uh, Phil, F-I-L. Its purpose is to provide a stablecoin for the wider development of the Filecoin network and also provides incentives and discounts for Filecoin storage buyers and providers. All right. 
So now you've got an example of a few different of these stable coins under what's called centralized stable coins. I don't want to go too deep into that because it's going to get too complicated. We could spend a hundred shows on this, bring on crypto experts. Eventually, maybe we'll do that. But you see here, there is work going into this. All right. So to put our heads in the sand and say this isn't coming would just be wrong. There's nobody actually building all these systems just for shits and giggles. All right. That's not happening. All right, then we have gold-backed stable coins. Not backed by me, folks. Not backed by me. It says, while the vast majority of stable coins are backed by U.S. dollars stored in a bank vault, weakening sentiment around the U.S. dollar and the fiat in general has led to the elaboration of stable coins backed by other assets, including various gold-backed cryptocurrencies. These differ considerably in their form and usability, but are all backed by investment-grade gold so there we go back to the original idea of the fiat dollar being backed by gold you're going to have stable coins here that are backed by gold so you have one called cash gold it's cash c-a-c-h-e is among the most popular of these each cash is backed by one gram of pure gold held in the vaults stored around the world sending cash tokens is the equivalent of sending one gram of gold per token since they can be easily redeemed for physical gold at any time yeah right so you're telling me there's gold stored in vaults that are backing this token sure 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 there is can we see it? Oh, no. There's also Tether Gold, that's X-A-U-T, and Pax Gold, P-A-X-G, which operate in a similar way, but are instead pegged to one troy ounce of investment-grade gold. They also have a higher minimum redemption amount than cash. Now, I wonder if you could actually turn this in for real gold. I doubt it. Uh, then you have algorithmic stable coins terra which is uh, under the name luna l-u-n-a is a decentralized stable coin which means rather than relying on a trusted third party it uses a complex algorithm to keep stable to do this it balances quote on chain end quote reserves for example the funds are held in smart contracts with supply and demand automatically mitigating the chances of traders accidentally or intentionally fiddling the price I, I mean, do you see how complex this is? You talk about problem, reaction, solution loops, folks. I mean, seriously. And what we're supposed to believe, what we were sold over the last decade, is that this is decentralizing money, and this is how we're going to get around the government, and this is how the central banks lose control. Of course, the central banks are actually behind this stuff. It says Ampleforth, AMPL, relies on a similar process. Instead of physically backing each AMPL with one U.S. dollar, it instead uses a process known as a, quote, rebase, end quote, to automatically adjust the circulating supply of the crypto cryptocurrency in response to changes in supply and demand. If the price of AMPL is more than 5% above or below the USD reference price, then it will increase or decrease the circulating supply in an effort to push the price back towards $1. Since this rebase is uh, proportional across all wallets, AMPL holders always maintain their share of the overall AMPL network. So, that one there, that's just a rigged system. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, come on, folks. First off, 
anyone who believes that any of this stuff was developed to beat the system, to stop the system, to stick it to the Federal Reserve or the central bankers, you're out of your mind. The people developing this are the technocrats. And as we know, going back to the early 1930s into the 1920s, we had Howard Scott. The founder of Technocracy Incorporated, who led the uh, tech, uh, technocratic alliance, uh, being led around by Frank Vanderlip, the guy responsible for creating the Federal Reserve in 1913. So the technologist and the eugenicist that came out of the economic movement, the economy movement of the progressive era, these guys were all backed by the bankers, and the bankers are now behind this. And so you think that technologists, technocrats running the monetary system based on algorithms and supposed gold and dollar bills stored in secret vaults are actually here to protect you or to provide you with more freedom or liberty or to allow you to thrive in this new technocratic system come on ladies and gentlemen i know you're smarter than that the next is uh, DAI, D-A-I, is said to stand out from other competing stablecoins because it could be widely used while staying decentralized and trustless. DAI, which has... Uh, which was created by blockchain company MakerDAO, D-A-O, is a ERC-20 token whose value is pegged to the U.S. dollar and can be used for transfers between Ethereum wallets. And then they have a comprehensive list of popular stablecoins, and this is USD, U.S. dollar pegged. So you have Tether, TrueUSD, Gemini Dollar, USD Coin, Paxo Standard, Binance USD, DAI, D-A-I, HUSD, SUSD, Mstable USD, Ampleforth. Okay. Then you have uh, Great Britain Pound Peg. This is Binance GBP stablecoin. You have the Euro Pegged, which is the Stasis Euro. You have Tri Pegged, which is Bilyra. You have KRW Peg, which is Binance KRW. You have Gold Backed, which is Cash Gold, Tether Gold, Paxos Gold. And you have other, which is Petro, that's Oil Backed uh, stablecoin. And Libra, which is Basket Backed. It goes on to say, how are stablecoins used? Like most digital assets, stablecoins are primarily used as a store of value and as a medium of exchange. They give traders temporary uh, reprieve from volatility when the market is tumbling and can also be used in the rapidly growing world of decentralized finance, DeFi, for thing, things like yield farming, lending, and liquidity provision. Most traders and investors gain exposure to stablecoins by purchasing them from exchange platforms, but it is also often possible to mint fresh stablecoins by depositing the requisite collateral with the issuing company, such as U.S. dollars with Tether or physical gold with cash gold. All right, are you understanding this? Again, I, I don't want to make this overly complicated for you, but I want you to just understand uh, basically what this is so you understand stable coins are backed supposedly uh by the dollar by oil by gold they're supposed to be backed by something physical goes on to say why has stable coins become so popular stable coins or are enormously popular tether for instance is the second most traded cryptocurrency after bitcoin with a 24-hour trading volume of over 70 billion dollars at the time of writing this is from 2021 
Uh, and they have a tweet embedded here. It says, Tether has just surpassed a $15 billion market capitalization in only one month. Tether's market cap has increased by more than $3 billion, maintaining its number one spot as the most liquid, stable, and trusted currency. That's from September 2020. It says, why people choose stable coins over cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin? They're relatively stable because they are supposedly backed by fiat currency investors can be confident that their tokens will always sell for $1 each. This supposedly means that the prices won't fall. Coin prices are driven by belief. So if investors believe their stable coins are worth and backed by $1 each, the price should reflect that. They're a safe haven for worried investors. Many exchanges, including Binance, the world's largest, don't let traders buy fiat currency and only let them buy and sell cryptocurrencies. This means it's often tricky for investors to swiftly cash out their cryptocurrencies when the going gets tough. To do so, they might have to transfer across several exchanges or even wait several days. Now, I will tell you, I was in that situation. A few years back, I was messing around with Forex. That's foreign exchange, trading foreign currencies. I was just goofing around with it with like a thousand bucks with a friend of mine who claimed to be making all this money doing it. And I said, hey, you know, let me give it a shot. Let's see how this works. So you had to buy Bitcoin, which is why I ended up setting up a Coinbase wallet and everything else. And I got fairly familiar with this. And then you had to move the Bitcoin over to this, uh, I think it was called a broker. And then the broker, I plugged into the platform that allowed me to trade foreign currencies. And then whenever I made money, I had to turn that back into Bitcoin and then send the Bitcoin back over uh, to Coinbase and then move that out. By the time it was done, I was paying fees and everything else. It just wasn't worth it, folks. Now, if you were doing this with hundreds of thousands of dollars and then you were making two, three, four, five percent and all of a sudden on these trades, you're making two, three, four, nine thousand dollars. Yeah. I could see it worth it. Well, when you're doing it with $1,000, your fees you're paying all the time, $2 here, $3 here, $5 here, it just eats into your profits. Uh, And that's kind of what they're talking about. So it says that is where stable coins come in because they are cryptocurrencies. They live on most exchanges. Yet because they hew to the value of a single fiat currency, they act as sort of a temporary refuge for investors looking to secure their funds during a bear market. In this way, stable coins are like blockchain-enabled versions of the dollar. That's if they retain their value. Disadvantage of stablecoins. Investors need proof the coins are backed by reserves. In Tether's case, this has never been conclusively provided, sparking rumors that the currency was unbacked and was in fact minted out of thin air. And there's a number of people a number of scams and schemes in the crypto space that do this, where they claim that they have a liquidity pool, there's all this money behind this, and it doesn't actually exist. And this is how rug pull happens. So they get people to go in and buy, you know, whatever, $5,000 worth of a token. Other people buy, they have celebrities promote it. Uh, People like Mark Cuban, Elon Musk, and others will pump it up. And then the next thing you know, there's a rug pull where all the money disappears and let's say the token is worth, I don't know, 10 USD, it goes down to 90 cents and it never comes back. And so all the regular guys, all the middle class folks, the little uh, 
guys uh, investing from home all get screwed. The same thing with stocks. You know, they get everybody to get in a stock at $200 per share, and then they collapse it down to $50, and it never comes back up, so you just lost your money. They basically sucked all the wealth out of people, folks. So just absorb this. I want you to understand it, at least the basics of it, because as we delve into... Uh, what's going on with this test pilot of CBDC and what's going on with consensus and their partnerships with the central bankers. We're going to talk a lot about stable coins and I don't want to have to stop to explain it. I'll just reference people back to episode 98 here. That's why I decided to just get this out of the way right now. All right, folks, when I get back, we'll finish it up and then we'll get into the CBDC test that is currently going on right here in the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. All right, I don't take cryptocurrency, but if you folks want to leave a donation to help us out here, keep the lights on, keep food on the table, that would be donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. I've used that service uh, for a few years on different podcasts I produce, and it works well. So if you'd like to do that, I really would appreciate it. Or just join us at pain.tv slash gold and get you some value for your money. Either way, you're getting access to something. Donations help uh, me to keep going. Uh, If you purchase a subscription at pain.tv slash gold, then I get a piece of that as well, and you get something in return. Minimally, the ad-free video version of this podcast, and so you can watch it, and it's got all of the articles and everything up uh, in real time here. I do a pretty nice production, folks. I think so. All right, let's get back to this here. Uh, I'll just recap what we read. It says, investors need proof the coins are backed by reserves. In Tether's case, this has never been conclusively provided, sparking rumors that the currency was unbacked and was, in fact, minted out of thin air. Stable coins aren't necessarily stable. The Gemini dollar has increased by a few cents several times in the last year as traders poured money into it. Ironically, many of those investors' funds had come from Tether, which has previously sunk to a low as 51 cents on some exchanges. As such, stable coins can be considered relatively stable rather than absolutely stable, particularly when compared to volatile assets like Bitcoin. Well, look at the case of Tether here, right? So if it's supposed to be worth a dollar, that's what you were promised. It's going to hold its value because it's backed by secret dollars in some secret vault that no one's ever seen. And then it drops to 51 cents. That lost half its value. That's like you buying a share of Apple for $2,000 and it's worth $1,000 now. Are you buying a $2,000 worth of Bitcoin when Bitcoin was at $60,000 per token? And then it drops to $30,000 per token, meaning your $2,000 piece of the uh, token that you own is now worth $1,000. So that's a big hit that the supposed stablecoin took. 
Tether has consistently stated that it is in fact 100% backed by the U.S. dollar. But when Tether released a breakdown of its reserves in May for the first time in seven years, it turned out that less than 3% of Tethers were actually backed by cash. All right, do you understand this? So if they disseminated, let's say, 1 million Tether tokens, and each one was supposed to be backed by 1 U.S. dollar, in a safe somewhere, so one million one dollar bills in a safe, it turned out that there was only thirty thousand of those one dollar bills in that safe. Ah, ah, really? Wow. It says U.S. lawmakers are also not fans of stablecoins in general. In his semi-annual monetary policy reporting to Congress earlier this month, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said that stablecoins were in need of tighter regulations. Quote, if they were going to be a significant part of the payments universe, which we don't think crypto assets will be, but stablecoins might be, then we need an appropriate regulatory framework, which Frankly, we don't have, end quote, Powell said. In July 2021, President Biden's Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with top regulators to, quote, discuss interagency work, end quote, around stablecoins, with Secretary Yellen urging regulators to, quote, act quickly to ensure there is an appropriate U.S. regulatory framework in place, end quote. And so that's what we were talking about in the last article where the SEC guy or woman, Hester Pierce, comes in and starts talking about how the regulators, the bureaucrats, are going to regulate this system. But maybe there should be a three-year window where there's no regulations while they're all building the system to match up with central bank digital currency. See, that's what's going on here. In the same month, China's central bank, the People's Bank of China, sounded the alarm on stablecoins. With PBOC, that's People's Bank of China, Deputy Governor Fan Yefi stating that commercial organizations, global stablecoins, quote, may bring risks and challenges to the international monetary system and payments settlement system, end quote. Yiffy added that Chinese authorities are, quote, quite worried about this issue, end quote, and have taken unspecified measures. All right, the future of stablecoins. With the crypto boom of 2017 behind us, investors are increasingly looking to stablecoins as a safer way to experiment with the technology. In the first half of 2020, the supply of stablecoins swelled by 94% to hit 11 billion dollars in june and regulators are warning up uh, are warming up to them too in september 2020 the u.s office of the controller uh, comptroller of the currency occ gave national banks and federal savings associations the green light to hold reserves for stable coin issuers all right so now they're saying that these national banks and these federal savings associations could actually hold the cash reserves for the issuers of stablecoin. This is what the comptroller of the currency here in the United States said could be done. All right, so the governments are moving in line uh, with all of this. Goes on to say, as more respected players throw in their weight, the Winklevoss twins, Circle and Coinbase, for instance, the idea of a digital dollar, a shadow currency that takes fiat onto the blockchain without risking its value, is ever more tantalizing. 
All right, so that's all I want to get into here on stable coins, folks. I want you to just have a basic understanding of how stable coins work, because as I said, we are going to get into some of this as I begin to cover uh, the rollout of what is going on and then we're going to get into the consensus uh that's joe lubin with ties to peter thiel and how that's moving forward first i want to just show you this it's something i found in passing this is at atlantacouncil.org and this is central bank digital currency tracker all right so you can actually go to atlanticcouncilorg slash cbdc tracker it says, what exactly is a central bank digital currency? A CBDC is virtual money backed and issued by a central bank. As cryptocurrencies and stable coins have become more popular, and see, this is why we needed to talk about stable coins, the world's central banks have realized that they need to provide an alternative or let the future of money pass them by. Now, I don't believe that to be true. I believe the central banks have actually been behind all the cryptocurrency and stablecoins projects. And now they're basically just going to harness everything, put it together, launch the infrastructure uh, that all this stuff has been test pilots and beta testing and uh, adoption campaigns that are run. That's my opinion on this. So there is actually this interactive map here. It says hover over a country to see their status, click on a country to learn more. And then there's filters here by country, uh, use case. So you can click on, for instance, retail wholesale both undecided and this is important because we're going to get into retail and wholesale and so wide awake jim is tracking this uh that they're going to roll out he believes a wholesale side first and then eventually retail retail would be you and me um there's cross border projects so you can go through uh uh Dcash, digital euro, digital yen, MCBDC bridge, Project Aber. There's a bunch of them here. You can filter by status. This would be launched, pilot, development, research, inactive, and canceled. You can look at underlying technology, which would be conventional DLT. You can also look at technology partnerships. There's a lot of companies uh, inside of here. And then when you go down to this map, I have all this up on the screen for the people at pain.tv slash gold. It's this interactive map. And you'll see 112 countries, currency, unions tracked. And then you can click a, a filter here, go through the different countries. And then you can roll over the top of these different uh, states. So here in the United States, you can see United States, and then it'll be status, research, use case, both. Uh, you can go over here, let's say like Canada, you'll see status, development, use case, both, architecture, intermediated, uh, underlying technology, both, access, both, cross-border projects, projects Jasper. Um, so you can look at, uh, let's say launched, we'll go to Nigeria, status launched, use case retail, technology fabric, architecture intermediated, underlying technology DLT, access account, technology partnerships, Bit Inc. Uh, you can see it's been launched in the Bahamas. It's been launched in Jamaica. 
so there's 11 different uh, projects that have actually been launched. And then you can look at pilot projects. You can look at development. You can look at research, inactive, and then uh, canceled projects. So you can go through this map. It's really cool. It says key findings. 105 countries representing over 95% of global GDP are exploring a CBDC. 105 countries. In May 2020, only 35 countries were considering a CBDC. A new high of 50 countries are in an advanced phase of exploration. That would be development, pilot, or launch. So when we get back from this break, I'm just going to walk you through this map. It's a tool that I think you're going to want to have access to. If I find a better one, I'll let you know. But this seems to be pretty much up to date. And this will show you guys what is actually going on out there. Uh, This is in the works. It's all being developed. This is all very real. They are moving quickly into this CBDC model. And I will show you exactly what's going on here in the United States when we get back from the break. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, again, we're over here at AtlanticCouncil.org slash CBDC tracker. And we're under key findings here. So we see 105 countries representing over 95% of global GDP, gross domestic product, are exploring a CBDC. Uh, As compared to May 2020, when only 35 countries were considering a CBDC. And it says here a new high of 50 countries are in an advanced phase of exploration. It says 10 countries have fully launched a digital currency with China's pilot set to expand in 2023. Jamaica is the latest country to launch a CBDC, the Jam Dex. Nigeria, Africa's largest economy, launched its CBDC in October 2021. It says many countries are exploring alternative international payment systems. The trend is likely to accelerate following financial sanctions on Russia. There are nine cross-border wholesale bank-to-bank CBDC tests and three cross-border retail projects. Of the G7 economies, the U.S. and U.K. are the furthest behind on CBDC development. The European Central Bank has signaled it will aim to deliver a digital euro by the middle of the decade. 19 of the G20 countries are exploring a CBDC with 16 already in development or pilot stage. This includes South Korea, Japan, India, and Russia. Each has made significant progress over the past six months. The financial system may face a significant interoperability problem in the near future. Oh, that will be planned, folks. The pro- proliferation of different CBDC models is creating new urgency for international standard setting. So you will have the regulators 
from the international level come in and set the standards. Now you know why Bank for International Settlements, World Economic Forum, United Nations, and the International Monetary Fund are all on board with this. But you have a lot of U.S. technology companies like Consensus already working hand-in-hand with those folks. So the uh, policies will be set at the international level and then handed down to the regulators in places like the United States. And my guess from what I've seen so far is that the old uh, money infrastructure will be utilized to launch at least the first phase of the CBDCs. But what I'm showing you here is that it's all very real. Now, yes, it might take a year, two years, three years, five years in different places. But it is coming. They're working towards it. There's no one stopping it. There's no one stopping it. Now, we can continue to use cash, as Wide Awake Jim says, and I agree with, use cash when you can, buy local, go analog. uh, And that's how we can resist in our personal lives. But at the same time, it's moving forward. And what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, you can see this. If you go back to COVID land, the high school theater production, you could see how they pushed even the resistors like you or I into the system or we'd be left behind. So the way it works, and this comes right out of Technocracy Incorporated. All right. If you remember the story that Howard Scott told. There was a rail car, you know, or a trolley. And on the trolley, there was a platform deck around it. And people were standing on the platform deck. And the regulators, the bureaucrats, thought that that was dangerous. So they passed a regulation that said you cannot stand on the platform deck. What happened? People kept doing it. Those were the resistors, right? They said, screw this. It's fun. I'm going to hang off the trolley car standing on the platform. So what did they do? They sent people to stick up signs it says it's illegal to stand on the platform deck then they sent in the police to try to regulate it to arrest people that stood on the platform deck but then people still broke the rules the regulators and the bureaucrats were not happy so they asked the scientists they asked the engineer they asked the technologist what do we do how do we stop people from standing on the platform deck and the engineer said ha ha Here's the new trolley car. It has no platform deck. We just re-engineer it. Now people can't stand on the platform deck. So what's going to happen in a system like this is when they eventually want to push you into it, they will just make all the other alternatives go away go away so if there are dollars in circulation if you or i happen to have a hundred thousand u.s dollars buried in our backyard in a jar if they just make that useless all they have to do is send the talking heads out on television to say the u.s dollar the printed currency the coin is now worth nothing then how many shop owners how many merchants do you know are still going to accept that u.s dollar if they start issuing central bank digital currency in the form of a u.s cbdc or an international cbdc who cares to the people who get social security who get welfare who get food stamps uh, et cetera, et cetera, in the form of C- CBDC. Well, if you say, I don't accept CBDC, then the government says you don't get paid. Well, all of a sudden now, all of those people become adopters because the technocrats, the engineers, the scientists, the technologists just engineered it into existence and they can change social behavior in a matter of minutes by giving you no other option. My father liked his little 3G smartphone. 
I mean, his little 3G flip phone. He didn't want anything else. Well, what happened? Verizon said, we're getting rid of the 3G towers. You have to come in here and get a 4G phone. They tried to force him into a smartphone. He didn't want one. Eventually, they caved and they gave him a 4G flip phone. But there you go. My father was pushed into the system. If 3G no longer exists, you're forced to use 4G or 5G or 10G or whatever the technologists deem to be the G of the day, folks, the G of the day. All right. Also on this website, it says issue spotlight cross-border CBDC projects. And you can click on the legend to see details hover on a card to stop the carousel. And so this goes through multiple CBDC bridge, Project Dunbar, Project Helvetia, Project Jasper, Project Aber, Project Jura, and then Onyx, uh, multiple with CBDC. And each of these, you can take a look at. Let's just uh, pick one from the rolling carousel here. Project Jasper. In 2017, the Bank of Canada launched Project Jasper, which concluded after four phases and included cross-border testing with the Bank of England and the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Countries Canada, the UK, and Singapore use case wholesale. Let's look at Project Helvetia. Project Helvetia was a collaboration between the Swiss National Bank, the Bank for International Settlements, and a commercial infrastructure operator, Six In 2020, Project Helvetia explored the feasibility of issuing a wholesale CBDC on SIX's distributed digital asset platform. In January 2022, it was announced that Project Helvetia was successful in integrating the wholesale CBDC to the core banking infrastructure of the country. Countries, Switzerland, and the Bank for International Settlements, use case wholesale. So it goes through a number of these uh, here that are being launched. Let's just look at this one. This is multiple CBDC bridge, M-Bridge. In September 2021, the Bank for International Settlements, along with Thailand, Hong Kong, China, and the UAE, released a report on phase two of the M-Bridge project, which seeks to create a multiple CBDC arrangement for a faster, cheaper, and more efficient mechanism for transfers and foreign exchange operations. Countries, Thailand, China, and Hong Kong, and the UAE use case wholesale. So they're rolling out all these wholesale projects. All right, next here at atlanticcouncil.org slash CBDC tracker, you have a timeline race for the future of money and so you can look at april 2021 june 2021 december 2021 and may 2022 and then there's this rolling timeline and you can go through launched pilot development research inactive canceled and other and it says where the 109 countries stand on cbdc progress in may 2022 so let's just look at uh april 2021 right so launched you basically had none in pilot you had 24 percent uh in development you had 19 percent in research you had 38 percent in active you had 14 percent and canceled you had four percent now let's that's the furthest back you can go now let's jump forward from april 2021 to may 2022 so now you have launched nine percent you have uh, 14% in pilot. You have 23% in development. You have 41% research. You have 9% in inactive, right? So you can take a look at the difference between the two and how they're quickly 
advancing, you know, in a one-year period, basically. Then you have a section here, the ABCs of CBDCs. What is a CBDC? A central bank digital currency is the digital form of a country's fiat currency that is also a claim on the central bank. Instead of printing money, the central bank issues electronic coins or accounts backed by the full faith and credit of the government. All right, so backed by the full faith and the credit of the government because we all have faith in the government. We know they have credit. They obviously have a credit card, you know, that allows them to run uh, us into $32 trillion in debt and $300 trillion in unfunded liability. So they do have credit, folks. But no, the full faith and credit of the government. So instead of printing U.S. dollars, they will mint the coins, digital coins, tokens. That's all it is. But remember, the difference between cash, right, actual cash and digital currency is that they can program the currency to allow and disallow you to spend it with certain merchants, uh, with certain people for certain products. It's all programmable. It's a system of total control. And what it does is it allows them, just like the technocrats want, to control the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. You understand why we went into the history of technocracy and energy certificates? Because I'm showing you how the system being built today is is based on the blueprints designed over 100 years ago. It says, but don't digital currencies already exist? There are already thousands of digital currencies, commonly called cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is the most well-known, fully decentralized cryptocurrency. Another type of cryptocurrency are stable coins, whose value is pegged to an asset or fiat currency like the dollar. We just went over that cryptocurrencies run on distributed ledger technology meaning that multiple devices all over the world not one central hub are constantly verifying the accuracy of the transaction but this is different from a central bank issuing a digital currency all right now at the same time and you're going to see this uh, time and time again uh, that there are multiple devices all over the world not one central hub that are constantly verifying the accuracy of the transaction that's like telling me there's bank faults all over the world that hold fiat dollars or gold that are backing stable coins well where are all of these computers where do they exist does your neighbor do this? Does he have one? I don't know. Ask around. See if anyone in your neighborhood has a computer that is writing uh, onto the distributed ledger. Just find out, folks. Ask people. Go to the grocery store and interview people. Interview 100 people and ask them if they are helping write uh, code onto the distributed ledger. Goes on to say, so why would a government get into digital currencies? There are many reasons to explore digital currencies and the motivation of different countries for issuing CBDCs depends on their economic situation. Some common motivations are promoting financial inclusion by providing easy and safer access for money for unbanked and underbanked populations. That is the biggest lie ever to exist. It's ridiculous and it's tugging at heartstrings. And some people don't want to deal with the bank, and everyone else can do it if they want to. Uh, number two, introducing competition and resilience in the domestic payments market, which might need incentives to provide cheaper and better access to money. Okay, right. Again, they're going to give you a lower-cost loan if you get into this total system of enslavement. Number three, increasing uh, efficiency in payments and lowering transaction costs. Again, yeah, it's going to save you money. 
Uh, number four, creating programmable money and improving transparency and money flows. Well, that's the big one there, programmable money. Again, that is the system of total control. That's the real reason. And providing for seamless and easy flow of monetary and fiscal policy. This is so that when there are different rules between different countries, if there even are going to be nation states, the money could be programmed so that certain things can't happen and the regulators can have control because they can program the money, how it's spent, how it's used, how it's transferred, how they can tax it, how they can add interest rates to it. All programmable from a central hub using artificial intelligence and uh, algorithms, folks. All right, so I hope you're understanding this. I'm going to finish this up, and then we're going to begin to introduce the program that the United States launched, and that's eventually going to lead us into consensus, and we're going to go into a deep dive on what they're doing, how they play a role in all of this, and then we're going to review all of these panel discussions out of the World Economic Forum and such. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. And I am Dustin Gold. All right, folks, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts and a comment over there. That's the least you could do, ladies and gentlemen, as we enter the holiday season. Leave me an early Christmas gift, a five-star review and a comment at Apple Podcasts as it helps us move up the charts. All right, let's continue. It says, what are the challenges? There are several challenges, and each one needs careful consideration before a country launches a CBDC. Citizens could pull too much money out of banks at once by purchasing CBDCs, triggering a run on banks affecting their ability to lend and sending a shock to interest rates. See, that's all part of the truth there. This is how they have to move one system in uh, place of a new system. But remember, we covered this a long time ago. Peter Thiel was so excited about COVID land, the high school theater production and the Great Reset, where he said this is an opportunity for us to move in this new economy in place of the old economy. And this is all part of that, folks. This is it. The new economy is a system of total control. It goes on, this is especially a problem for countries with unstable financial systems. CBDCs also carry operational risks since they are vulnerable to cyber attacks and need to be made resilient against them. Finally, CBDCs require a complex regulatory framework, including privacy, consumer protection, and anti-money laundering standards, which need to be made more robust before adopting this technology. Well, we don't have to worry about the actual criminals, the government, the international prison planet warden overlords laundering money, because they can't get in trouble for that. What they mean by money laundering is you and I. And what they mean by that is, can Dustin somehow illegally transfer one CBDC token to Farmer Carol for a pumpkin when he's not supposed to? 
Also, remember, folks, in the original energy certificate program developed by Technocracy Incorporated, there was no wealth building allowed. So if you were given an allotment of 20,000 energy certificates today and they expired in a year, they expired. If you didn't spend them all, they were gone, wiped out of your account. You could not trade them. You could not sell them. You could not transfer them. You could only use them to buy the goods from the state. Goes on to say, what are the national security implications of a CBDC? New payment systems create externalities that impact the daily lives of citizens and can possibly jeopardize the national security objectives of the country. They can, for example, limit the United States' ability to track cross-border flows and enforce sanctions. In the long term, the absence of U.S. leadership and standards setting can have geopolitical consequences, especially if China and other countries maintain their first mover advantage in the development of cbdc's or work on digital currencies at the geoeconomic center is at the nexus of the future of money and national security all right folks so if i were you if you want to learn more about the different cbdc projects going on where they're at to check this out i'm not a big fan of the atlantic council but i'll definitely be using this map uh, as it provides some good information so atlanticouncil.org slash CBDC tracker. So check that out if you're interested. All right, what we're going to get into next is some news that came out a couple of weeks ago. It was on my radar, but I decided that I did not want to get into it until we started laying the foundation here of CBDC. And this is at decrypt.co. I mentioned this website before. That's D-E-C-R-Y-P-T.co, decrypt.co. And this article is from November 16th. Uh, 2022, written by Jason Nelson, and this is U.S. banks launch a digital dollar blockchain pilot. Mainstream financial institutions are working with the Federal Reserve to test a digital currency platform. You heard that correct. This is U.S. banks launching the digital dollar. All right, it happened a couple of weeks ago. And so this is very important. It's not just here at Decrypt. You can find this on Reuters. You can look at uh, government documents. It's all real, ladies and gentlemen. It says, while the crypto market is shaken to its core by the failure of FTX, traditional financial institutions are taking a step into the world of digital currency. Remember, Dan Golvach talked about FTX. If you want to hear that, it's episode 94. A group of banking institutions, including HBSC, MasterCard, and Wells Fargo, announced on Tuesday the launch of a proof-of-concept digital money platform called the Regulated Liability Network, RLN. And we're going to get into that. I'm going to break that down for you. I'm starting to look to see who's behind that. So we're going to cover this, actually, before we get into consensus. Joe Lubin's company, former partner of Vitalin Buterak, funded by Peter Thiel, to develop Ethereum, which a lot of this CBDC technology sits on top of the uh, Ethereum protocol. So I'm working my way back to that. I decided to put stable coins and um, this stuff they're working on, this uh, U.S. test and the RLN, the Regulated Liability Network, in before it. Because as we start to investigate consensus in real time and look at the white papers, we'll be able to see if some of what they're doing actually links back to what's going on 
here. It all connects. This is an ongoing real-time investigation so that we can understand this system and see how far ahead the technocrats are and be able to start to make decisions and come up with solutions to these problems before before the big rug pull comes. It says, uh, quote, members of the U.S. banking and payments community involved in this proof of concept are pleased to be working alongside the New York Innovation Center, NYIC, that is part of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, end quote, the group said in a statement. According to the group, the platform will use distributed ledger technology, better known as a blockchain, all right, to create opportunities to improve financial settlements. It would also draw participation from central banks, commercial banks, and, quote, regulated non-banks, end quote, including BNY Mellon, Citi, PNC Bank, SWIFT, TD Bank Trust, and U.S. Bank. In response to the announcement, exiled whistleblower Edward Snowden tweeted simply, it begins. Okay, so you guys may have seen that tweet, folks, uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks. It goes on to say, the potential of central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, has long held the interest of banking officials. CBDCs are digital versions of a state's fiat currency and are similar to stable coins pegged at one-to-one ratio with a specific fiat currency. And so... You understand the principles behind that, folks. It says, the group says the RLN will run for 12 weeks and only operate in U.S. dollars. Participants will issue simulated digital tokens representing customer deposits and settle through simulated central bank reserves on a shared blockchain. The group says the project will include a regulatory framework aligned with existing regulations like Know Your Customer, KYC, and anti-money laundering requirements. They will also test the feasibility of extending the platform to support other digital assets, uh, assets like stable coins. And so Know Your Customer, KYC, I'll cover that briefly. Let me take a note of that. Uh, so you understand the current regulations that the CBC, uh, CBDC pilots are operating under. Uh, it says, following the project's conclusion, the group says it will publicize the pilot's program's results, adding that participants are not required to participate in future initiatives. Quote, this project will be conducted in a test environment and only use simulated data, end quote, the group notes. Quote, it is not intended to advance any specific policy outcome, nor is it intended to signal that the Federal Reserve will make any imminent decisions about the appropriateness of issuing a retail or wholesale CBDC, nor how one could necessarily be designed, end quote. The United States would not be the first to attempt to develop a national digital currency. China has already begun work on a digital yen. In September, Australia moved ahead with its pilot project for a digital dollar using an enterprise-grade private variant of Ethereum known as Quorum. Okay, so that you understand, folks, we covered this. Quorum was a J.P. Morgan Chase product purchased by Consensus that's owned by Joseph Lubin. Consensus develops uh, systems that lay on top of Ethereum's protocol. So it says Australia uh, launched this private variant of Ethereum known as Quorum. 
Okay, so we're going to get into some of that when we look into consensus. But as you'll see, consensus headed up by Joseph Lubin, former partner, quote unquote, former partner of Vitalik Buterin, who was funded by Peter Thiel in part to develop Ethereum, right? So Peter Thiel has his fingers in this stuff. We're going to continue to dig into Peter Thiel's involvement. So the big takeaway here is that the United States has launched this pilot program. And you would say, well, what did they just come up with this yesterday? No, it's been in the works for quite a while. And so this is called RLN, Regulated Liability Network. But you can't just pass over this. All of a sudden, when you have 12 banking institutions working together in cooperation with the central banks and in cooperation with the commercial banks and with cooperation with the regulated non-banks, you have to say to yourself, what's behind this? Where did it come from? All right, how did you get these 12 supposedly individual companies to come together to work on something like this? And so what I did, folks, is I did a little research into the regulated liability network on Corda. All right, and so I am going through these documents now, and on episode 99, I'm going to break this down for you. I found on R3, numerical3, r3.com, this January 2022 article on the Regulated Liability Network, over at Settle, S-E-T-L dot I-O, I found the Regulated Liability Network white paper on scalability and performance, powered by Amazon Web Services. Amazon, we know, has contracts with the CIA, NSA, and others. Also, Jeff Bezos, the owner, owns Washington Post. So this is the regulated liability uh, network white paper. I actually got a hold of the 40-page white paper. Um, and so we're going to go through that here, folks. And then we have this article on M10, numerical 10, M10.io. What is a regulated liabilities network and why do we need one? And in the meantime, I am working on figuring out who was the software developer behind the RRL, uh RLN being used in the U.S. test pilot. And then, as I've mentioned, we're going to go through, I have up on the screen, folks, we're going to go through consensus.net, that's C-O-N-S-E-N-S-Y-S.net. If you want to jump ahead and start to take a look at this, we're going to talk about blockchain solutions for central bank digital currency. We're going to talk about blockchain in government and the public sector. We're going to talk about CBDCs, what happens when fiat currency lands on public Ethereum. And then we're going to get into the smart Dubai blockchain case study for for government in the UAE, amongst many, 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 many other things hidden inside this consensus website. And then here up on the screen, folks, I have the white paper written in January 2020, presented in Davos, and this is all about the CBDC coming out of consensus. And then we also have a document that we found on Bank for International Settlements, BIS.org, on cryptocurrencies, looking beyond the hype. And this right here talks about Ethereum. 
and possible involvement of Ethereum. So we're going to continue to break this down and do research into this because I'm looking to see if we can tie Peter Thiel into it, uh, which which we sort of can now because he backed Vitter, uh, Vitalik Buterin to develop Ethereum that now becomes the backbone for a lot of these CBDC projects all very complex folks but i find it to be very interesting if we want to understand the future we are moving into we need to understand the history we need to understand the present and then we need to take these guys at their word sometimes but i'm telling you just be careful just be careful i am only seeking out the truth folks i'm trying to build this little media network carve out a living for myself having to just wake up and do research and work on this uh, and build videos start to work on documentaries on this stuff that interests me because i need to understand this as my son gets older to be able to teach him about the world he's living in and if i don't have to take on web consulting projects and other things that i really at 41 years old don't care about and i can work on this all day that's what i'm going to do so i am only seeking out the truth and delivering you the truth i'm backed by no one owned by no one and i'm going to take you where the truth goes so that you can start to figure out how the hell you're going to live in this system teach your kids about the system your grandkids about the system how much you're willing to tolerate and how realistic is it for us to begin to separate ourselves from this system can we build a half amish community to be able to live outside this prison planet that they are building around us and i think just right now over the last two shows just starting to look at cbdc where they're at the technology behind it the money behind it we can see that this is not some pipe dream these guys are actually building this folks it is for real there's trillions of dollars behind this system and it is a system of total control it will control the means of production and the distribution of goods and services this is very dangerous it's very scary but i would rather know the ugly truth than sit there and be blind ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold i'll be back tomorrow episode 99 this is the dustin gold standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold the matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold.